The easiest ways for leaders to foster innovation is to avoid specific things. People like to focus on the winners, on the leaders, and let's try to emulate them. You know, what's Google doing? What's Amazon doing? What are these companies doing? What's Apple doing? Uh, but the reality is that especially innovation graveyard is full of people and businesses that tried something that didn't work. And they have much more in common and are much bigger sampler size than those that have succeeded. Yes, everybody likes a good hero story and I hope that yours, the listeners, will be hero story as well. But as a leader, you're much better off by actively avoiding what's in common to all those that failed rather than trying to slavishly replicate everything that kind of the top leader is doing. And one of the things as a leader is basically nurturing curiosity. The easiest way to beat that out of your employees is to shoot down any question that may come forward. In her book, Conversational Intelligence, Judith Glasser wrote, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantivos. Welcome to this episode of Conversations. I'm Brian Gorman, a Quantivos coach and your host. Our guest today is Bruno Pezic. Bruno is coming to us from Oslo, Norway. And Bruno is a master of innovation, which is our topic today. Bruno, when you first reached out to me, you wrote that you like to focus on practical steps leaders can take to make intelligent decisions when it comes to innovation. Could you begin by giving us sort of a big picture idea of what you mean when you're talking about innovation? Absolutely. And uh, Brian, so happy to be here uh, and speak to you. I think uh, the topics you're covering are very relevant. So happy to bring yet another perspective to innovation and leadership. And uh, it's a good opening question because innovation is one of those words. You ask 10 people, you get 20 definitions. So when I'm showing up here, I'm not showing up as my way, the only way, but one way that I'm openly sharing and perhaps you and listeners find it useful. So when I talk about innovation, when I work with innovation, what I'm primarily thinking is something new that creates value. And we have two qualifiers here. New doesn't have to be to the history of mankind because we are quite inventive, uh, but it has to be new for the customers you're serving and it has to be new to you, the organization. If it's new to both of you, yes, it is innovative. Even if somebody maybe in different industry already did something similar. And the other part that is important is the value. So in the last decade or so, there's been a lot of talk about customer centricity, which is very, very important. But in the process, we have forgotten that innovation is still a business process, or at least we talk about it as, as a business process, which means that it's not important just to create value for the customer, but there must be 
value for the organization, capturing back some of that. Usually we're talking about profits, increased profit margins, better financial results, uh, but that part is very, very important. Exactly for the reason that you mentioned when I wrote to you, helping leaders make better investment decisions for innovative ideas. It is not the same if you're running a hundred million dollar business or if you're running a billion dollar business or a trillion dollar business. It's very different types of investments you will be looking for. So it is quite important to understand those fine distinctions. Bruno, I think innovation can, first of all, I know, innovation can take place in the service industry as well as in the manufacture of goods, if you will. And there's a whole scale of innovation from, you know, I've got these gel pens called friction. And it's an innovation because I can write with a gel pen and erase it. It's not the same as the iPhone as an innovation. And so what causes leaders or allows leaders to really foster any level of innovation in their organization? A big question, but let's try to tackle it uh, in a pragmatic way. The easiest ways for leaders to foster innovation is to avoid specific things. People like to focus on the winners, on the leaders, and let's try to emulate them. You know, what's Google doing? What's Amazon doing? What are these companies doing? What's Apple doing? Uh, but the reality is that especially innovation graveyard is full of people and businesses that tried something that didn't work. And they have much more in common and are much bigger sampler size than those that have succeeded. Yes, everybody likes a good hero story and I hope that yours, the listeners, will be hero story as well. But as a leader, you're much better off by actively avoiding what's in common to all those that failed rather than trying to slavishly replicate everything that kind of the top leader is doing. And one of the things as a leader is basically nurturing curiosity. The easiest way to beat that out of your employees is to shoot down any question that may come forward. It's really about shooting down questions. You know, people, especially leaders, start uh, lamenting, you know, oh, Bruno, like our people are not coming up with good ideas. And when they come up with ideas, we have to squeeze them so hard and it's not relevant for my business. It's not your people's problem. It is your problem. You have failed to clearly communicate what's the strategy of the business, where are you trying to take the business, what's the focus at the moment, what is so important for your business at the moment. People think because it's in their head and they speak to their small circle that everybody in the organization shares the same picture. And then when somebody comes up to them because they say, oh, we are open to questions, and then finally somebody dares, to ask a question, they either get shot down and they, or they get the answer, but then they're like, never ask that question again. So it's those small things that accumulate over time that will lead to either more or less innovative organization. Because it is a lot about asking, I wouldn't want to say the right question, but for example, why is there a leak here? You know, small questions like that. Let's say that uh, you're in a pen manufacturing hall since you shared the pen and we are taking a walk and there's some puddle on the ground. So a simple question like why is there puddle on the ground can lead to a conversation that will lead to some improvement, some innovation, some betterment. Now you might say, okay, Bruno, but that's a really, really small example. What about big, 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 those disruptive, radical, transformative ideas and innovations? The reality is 
you have to do a lot of small ones to be better positioned to grab and to be able to deliver on those big huge innovations when they come it's similar like uh, you you one day wake up and decide you know i want to lift 200 kilos you cannot just go to the gym put on the weights and like push you got you're gonna injure yourself you're gonna break your muscles you're gonna rip them you have to go to the gym regularly you have to rest regularly so your muscles recover grow and you get stronger and stronger and stronger and then maybe you learn that never in your life you will be able to lift 200 kilos because your physique, no matter how much you build it up, is not going to be able to do that. Something similar is in innovation. Leaders have to build their people over time with a lot of small, small things. So when the big thing comes around the corner, when new Airbnb comes, when new Zoom comes, that you do not actively push against it, but that you recognize, oh, there's this opportunity and we have the muscles needed to grab that opportunity. I mean, I used Zoom as an example because it's most recent because of Corona. Uh, people forget how did Zoom start. Zoom did not start by some genius out of nowhere. It started from existing company doing the same business. So it was an employee at a company doing teleconferencing who had an idea and couldn't find support for that idea. So he took it outside the organization and disrupted the organization that that he was in. It's not an employee problem. It is a leader issue. Luckily, it is easily fixable issue that needs to be solved again and again and again. <laughs> it's easily fixable if the leaders are open to learning and growing. Otherwise, it ain't going to get fixed. As I'm listening to you, and, and Zoom is obviously you know somewhere along the continuum toward the iPhone and so forth, it sounds like a lot of those incremental smaller innovations are best nurtured from the front lines, from the people who are actually interfacing with the production processes or with the vendors or with the customers, the clients and so forth. And I think about all of these phone menus that I listen to every day when I try to call for support. What I hear is we're monitoring, you know, we're recording this for quality assurance. I would hope that we're also recording this to listen for opportunities to improve our service, um, to innovate in how we are serving our customers. Do you see that actually happening very often? I would like to say yes. I would love to say yes. In fact, unfortunately, that isn't true. And what you mentioned is something that uh, I just recently uh, wrote about, and that is the artificial divide between quality and innovation. So somehow, you know, people put them on the same continuum as opposites. Like you cannot have continuous improvement. Like if you're doing all this small stuff, you're going to get disrupted because you're not innovative. And if you're doing a lot of innovation, you cannot be doing all the small stuff. It just isn't true. It's more like parallel processes that intertwine so if you imagine a rope and kind of how rope is made of all the different uh, strings, that's a more accurate, I would say, metaphor representation. And uh, it's brilliant what you say. Uh, the companies that are using call centers that are recording all these conversations, they're sitting on a gold mine of data that they could go into and just look into it to start improving their existing products, which can then lead to even more innovative products. And to give you an example, built exactly on that. So this was a, a European financial organization 
and uh, it, the product was in the area of giving out mortgages, so loans for acquiring uh, new houses, etc. And uh, they were in the process of digitizing because uh, in Europe it's now less and less of physical branches and it's more and more, you know, online self-service, etc. So we were looking at the whole customer journey. What are the customers doing? And we found that a specific point, almost 98% of them drops off. So they fill out the formulas to get the loan. They fill out all the data, but they do not submit it. We did not know why. So we went and checked all the calls and all the calls had one thing in common. Everybody was asking to confirm if the data they put in is correct. And they were also asking if it's not correct, what is going to happen next? In addition to that, we decided, okay, let's call and have an interview with a few other customers that have completed and have not completed to see if the same thing is uh, happening as the people that are calling in. And we discovered, yes, even those that did not call in had the same issue. So we quickly learned that the main bottleneck was their hesitancy, their, their lack of knowledge, what's going to happen if they put in the wrong number, because they were very stressed. You know, I prepare all the numbers and everything to get that loan. Uh, what if I do something wrong? Am I going to get fined? Is, am I going to get a hard no and I cannot resubmit? Solution was very easy and very cheap. It, it was just putting a, a small text box saying, you know, did something wrong? Ian problem, no problem. Like this is the, the hotline. If you did something wrong, we are going to call you. We are going to write back and you will be able to change that. Bam, massive improvement. So this is not a massive innovation. This is a small incremental improvement, but that then leads to discovering, okay, in this mortgage process, what kind of customer is underserved? Maybe they need a different type of a loan product. And now we are into introducing adjacent product based on on what you have. So you can see it, it's all intertwined. People say, listen to the customers. Yes, but you have to be listening to the specific things and then you must take action on it. That's informed action. So thank you for bringing out this example because a lot of companies already have that data right now. You, you do not need to go out to, to collect it. I think one of the things that's important about innovation is keeping your eye on the competition as well. I find it hard to believe, but I was dealing with a tech company around a tech product that had stopped working. And as many people as I spoke with in chat, as many people as I spoke with on the telephone, they all said to me, there is no way for me to address your problem and there is no way for me to pass you on to somebody else as you're talking about it, it's important to listen to the customer and find out what is and what is not working about what you're offering. Let's move on to your statement around making intelligent decisions. How do you know an innovative decision is intelligent? What I would call an intelligent decision is making a decision based on the data you have available, the best possible decision in the moment. So it has nothing to do with uh, if that worked out or did not work out, but it has to do, okay, did I use the right data? Did I try to kind of summarize everything I have in order to make the most informed decision? And can I live with it? 
innovation, like if you're talking about innovation as we earlier defined, uh, has a very specific thing to it. And that is that you can do everything right and the outcome can still be negative. So you can have all the best people, uh, you can have all the best data, the opportunity could be there and yet you could still fail taking this new product or service to market for whatever reason. Too early, too late, not quick enough, not right enough, whatever. So the only thing we can control, leaders can control for their innovation investments are the inputs. That means usually cost, but when we talk about cost for innovation projects, they're not about buying a new factory or hiring some consultants. We are really talking about assigning your people. Because if you decide to assign your people to work on a specific innovative idea, you have to be aware of potential opportunity cost. Opportunity cost meaning that those people could have been working on core business, making their regular uh, operations, or they could be working on another idea that is more valuable. There is no way to predict opportunity cost. Opportunity cost can only be calculated backwards, but being aware of that thing existing and how it actually manifests for innovation projects is very valuable. Especially for intelligent innovation investments, you have to think not like a gambler. Like there is now more and more popular, you know, think like a gambler, like you're betting big and some of the bigs are going, you know, bets are going to return and whatnot. I think that's detrimental because gambling is an addiction. You, I hope your job is not an addiction and I hope that uh, you investing in your people is not an addiction, but kind of good business practice. So thinking about innovation investments, you have to be ready to lose short term, to have a lot of small losses, but you're playing to win big long term. What I mean by that, you might have Brian's and Bruno's that you're assigning to innovation projects and Brian's and Bruno's job is to as cheaply and as quickly as possible see if this idea is worth further investment. So you should not cry if you pay our salary for a month to come back and tell you this is a bad idea. You should be rejoicing because that means that we do not spend two years, which is the average time spent by employees within a corporate organization on an idea that doesn't stand a chance. Now that is horrible, horrible, horrible number. That is 23 months more than they should have spent working on an idea that will never bring any money or any positive result to the organization. So if Bruno and Brian are coming back to you as a leader and telling you, hey, we did the tests, we spoke with the customers, it's not really promising, isn't the right fit for us. It's a great success. You paid very little money to move on to the next idea that might actually be that big success that you're looking for. And I refuse to call that betting, as I told you, for the reasons that I think just gambling. Nah, nah, not, not, not good metaphor, not good metaphor for this. So all of that together, that's what I would say makes for intelligent decision. You're aware that there's a loss, you're aware that there's a probable loss, but you're basing your further investment decision based on what your innovators or your employees tell you, what data they bring, not about uh, how you feel or what you read in the newspapers and think that's the big next thing, or you went to the conference, or you heard some guy on a podcast that's really enthusiastic about the topic, so you say, we're going all in on that. Like, no, 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 that, that's not intelligent investment. <laughs> I'm really glad you brought up the importance of saying yes and, and not just saying yes. 
Um, and what it brings to mind for me, and I'm not sure if this term is a familiar one in Europe, but a term that has been around industry and corporate life for a long time here in the States, certainly, is Skunk Works, where we really have some small team of people, typically, who are outside the normal operation. They don't have day-to-day production or customer service responsibility or sort of business function support responsibility. Their responsibility is that of how effective have you seen that approach to innovation? Alone, it is miserable, like any other approach. And I'll explain why. Humans are not so rational. That's probably not a big revelation to anyone. And uh, we can be quite territorial, possessive, uh, not made here syndrome, and etc. Uh, when we are talking about larger organizations, so not SMEs, not scale-ups, not startups, but proper large organizations with multiple business units, etc. Skunkworks has a specific function. As you said, it is on the outside. If that's your only innovation unit, then you will need someone or a group of people whose 100% job is going to be to sell what Skunkworks did back to the main organization or is going to get rejected. And unfortunately, that is just humane. Today, what we know, what we have seen works really well, not just in uh, Europe, but also in USA, is more a portfolio of approaches. So there are some internal innovators in existing business working more on those incremental innovations that we have discussed. There is a skunk works a little bit on the outside. There is something in between. There's an innovation support unit. So there's a plethora of people that are dealing and interfacing with innovation. So you have the whole continuum from something less risky to something more risky. So there is an environment that supports, and I hate to use this word, but it is the correct word, handovers. Because really, when it comes to not only innovation projects, but any projects, handover is the critical moment because everything could fall apart at the hand handover. Especially if you're talking about the skunk work uh, who maybe uh, built up an internal startup, a venture, and then it's supposed to start scaling up and they want to hand it over for scaling up. There is a lot of uh, knowledge that gets lost in that handover, especially because uh, type of people that thrive in skunk works, they usually want to keep on building new things. They don't want to go back and, and I have a regular job and I have to be like a, an internal COO or something like, oh, you know, HR, paperwork, operations, procedures, etc. So by itself, I would say it's better than nothing. But really the best thing is to have multiple different tactics. Never have just, just one tactic. So don't just pick, we're going to just have Accelerator or just Skunk Work or just a startup partnership program. No. It's better to have an array of them that are aligned with your strategy. So not random things again, like Bruno recommended this or Brian recommended that. Sure, these people have experience, but it's your responsibility as a leader to pick appropriate tools for your organization. Not everything is for everyone, and that is, that is perfectly fine. You bring up something that is really important. And I had not thought about this in the context of our conversation until just listening to you. For a lot of years, I didn't understand why I would be in a job for two or three years and I'd be ready to move on. And I moved on not just 
in the roles I was filling, but in the professions and even in the industries. And I realized I don't do real good at maintenance. I don't do real good at the same day to day. Now, the jobs I held through much of my career, and even now, are about facilitating and supporting change. And when it was launching a living learning center in a university, when it was turning around a moribund fundraising program, when things were in place and working the way they were intended to work, I was ready to move on. So I think part of the intelligence of leaders is fitting people to the, the roles that you're asking them to play as well. We're going to have to wrap up soon, Bruno, but before we do, I'm looking over your shoulder and there is a box that says playing lean. What is playing lean? Thank you for asking. It's, it's very subtly placed on my, on my bookshelf. Uh, playing lean is a board game. It is a board game for teaching innovation and entrepreneurial skills and uh, it's not just for the playing lean, but in general, why board games are so cool and so useful. So our brain actually has difficulty differentiating between experience and emotions at work versus experience and emotions while playing a game or a simulation. So a board game is a very good bridge between a classroom and on-the-job training, especially because, you know, people in innovation space, people like saying, fail fast, blah, blah, blah. It's not about failing fast. It is about learning fast. It just happened that failure is a good good way to learn fast. But if you haven't learned anything, then it's for nothing. And in games, it is safe to fail. The worst thing you lose in a game and somebody else's wins. So playing lean is one of those educational games that you can play in order to develop some skills, open difficult conversations, etc., etc. And I know you said you were going to wrap up, but I just want to mention one, one, one thing that I think is so important and it connects to, to everything we've been talking about. So in the beginning, you ask leaders and nurturing innovative environment. And now we mentioned uh, leaders have a big responsibility and opportunity to contribute by matchmaking uh, right people with the right tasks, etc. In addition to that, leaders have a big opportunity of dropping more of that micromanaging approach when it comes to innovation. Because to me, the pinnacle of a good innovative leader is when they allow people to come to them with proposals instead of trying to force, hey, Brian, you're a creative guy and we have a new project. So you and Bruno are going to work on this. Yes, sometimes you have to do this for those maybe very special projects, but much better is when you have Brunos and Brian's approaching, hey, I had this idea and I know it's aligned with our strategy. Would you like to hear me out? This is what I need. Because you have to allow yourself to be surprised because innovation isn't hardcore R&D. There is no, no matter what people say and what's now in American universities, you do not need a master's in innovation or any nonsense like that. Creativity, innovativeness, that's a humane trait. Every human is innovative. How much? That's different. But it, it is fundamentally human activity to create things out of nothing. Otherwise, we will not be where we are today. All the best stuff aside. If I can just add one thing to that, we are all innovative. We are all creative. It may be in very different realms. It may be artistic. It may be inventive. It may be 
in terms of strategy or in terms of how to make a better widget. But we all have that creativity inside of us. And as you're saying, micromanaging shuts it down. So as so many other topics that we address here on Conversations, it's about providing the environment. It's about asking the questions. And it's about shutting up and listening to the people on your team. Bruno Pesic, Oslo, Norway, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you for having me.